the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken and today, actually this week, I have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who is uh, taking the week off. He and Paula um, are taking a, just a quick break. Uh, they're fine. They're doing really well, actually. Right before Joy of Jesus taking just a few days off to just to be with the Lord and spend some time together. So while they're doing that, uh, I'm going to be uh, the one that fills in for him on the radio show. So everything will continue as it normally does. This is a radio show where we love to take your Bible questions, uh, doctrine questions, questions about church, how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, uh, and anything we can do to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. So let me give you the contact information. The phone number to call in with your radio questions is 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. A toll-free number is 877-630-5757. We also have an email address to submit questions. That's questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. Well, since it's Monday, it's, uh, that means tonight we here at Calvary Chapel, uh, we have our men's and we have our women's and youth and junior high Bible studies tonight. Uh, bring your family. There's Bible studies for everyone. There's child care also if that applies to you. Uh, for us men, I'm going through uh, the, prophet, uh, the prophet of Isaiah, just like we are on Wednesday nights. We are in what Pastor Ron and what I would call is the most holy ground, right there in chapter 52 and 53. So we're going to take our time looking at Jesus in the prophet of Isaiah. And the women have a special uh, Bible study tonight. It's actually more of a pastor wives uh, review. They had their their retreat, the annual retreat with the staff, pastors, wives go out uh, for a time to be together, to be with Jesus, share their hearts. And uh, that's what they get to do tonight, share with the rest of the women what the Lord spoke to them. It's a pastor's wives retreat reflection is what it is. And then, of course, Pastor Nelly with the youth and Chris Sanchez with the junior high. Come join us at seven o'clock if you're interested. Well, we don't want to keep our callers waiting, so let's go right to the phone lines. Line 1 Anonymous, you're on the air. How can we help you? <clears throat> yeah, yes, sir. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a Christian, and um, this is pertaining to my Christian life. Uh, it's actually a big part of my life as a Christian that I would like, I would like very much to be a, you know, a soul winner for Christ. Now, we know I can't just go out knocking on these door and out and witness for Christ. So my question, sir, is um, what do I have to do 
to be a significant soul winner for Christ. I'll listen to you response on the radio. Wonderful. Anonymous, I really appreciate your calls. I've been listening to the previous shows, and you are consistent. I love that. Thank you for your call and for your questions, and so let me get right to it. Being a soul winner, which is the same thing as being a witness for Jesus Christ, is the responsibility of every single one of us who were born again. And it isn't such a, a responsibility in the sense that we have to work uh, to earn God's love. Like some would say, we have to go door to door. It's the way you live your life, Anonymous. Ephesians uh, Chapter 5 is a perfect example. When Paul the Apostle is writing to the church there in Ephesus, he tells them to be imitators of God as dearly loved children and to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And, and, and what you'll notice here is that Paul, uh, the Bible doesn't give us a specific cookie cutter pattern and what to do. The single most important thing anonymous is how we live our lives and the fruit that's produced from your life. Because I will tell you this, and I'm sure you know this, just like many others who listen to pastors or to people who teach the Bible, there are a lot of good people. People who can speak well, teach the Bible, and, 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 and even argue in a very convincing way but their lives have rotten fruit. And I, I'm just like you. When I listen to somebody speak and, and I walk away saying, wow, that, that sounded, that person sounded very smart. That, but I know that their life is, is producing rotten fruit. I'm not going to walk away encouraged. And so the way you become a soul winner, Anonymous, for Jesus is you really have to live what you believe and it has to be based on the Word of God you know in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 when Paul is writing to the church there at Corinth and he describes love God's love the world has their own definition of love people want to define love in the way that they see fit but what the Bible describes as love is, is Jesus' agape love, the, the sacrificial love that he has for, for you and for me. And when our lives are lived based on that pattern of love in 1 Corinthians 13, it becomes so attractive to the people around us that they'll ask you about this Jesus. Another example, anonymous, I want you to write down, is in Titus chapter 2. Again, Paul the Apostle writing to Titus about the people there in Crete. There, there, his instruction was to Titus to tell the slaves, and, and the, the context there is for employees or workers, as a witness to their managers or the slave owners or, or, or the authorities that are above them, that they would obey the teaching of God's word so that it would be attractive, attractive to those that are around them. I love that, Anonymous. That's how you become a soul winner. It's not in the way you articulate your, uh, you know, your, your Romans road or, or, or learning how to debate with people uh, that doesn't win anybody to Jesus. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit and producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life that becomes so attractive to the people around you that they come up to you and they ask you, how can I have this thing that you have that I don't? And I promise you, Jesus will use that in your life, Anonymous. Uh, personally, I'm not a fan of uh, these programs or these methodologies that that teach you a script or that give you material uh, on how to answer these questions when they say this, you say that. Uh, 
just study the Word of God over and over and over and, and let your heart become Jesus' heart. Another thing I would add, Anonymous, is this. When you're talking to people, when you're around people, you have to care about them. You actually have to love them the way Jesus does. Now, I know that sounds very basic and rudimentary, but, but the truth is, is the way we treat people, the way we talk to people, the way we love them, it's, that's a reflection of Jesus. And if we're someone that claims to love Jesus and to study God's Word, but, but we don't have a love for His people, then what will happen is they'll be turned off. And the Jesus that, that we talk about will be a Jesus that they want nothing to do with. And so, Anonymous, I, I hope that helps. Thank you for your call, and again, thank you for your consistency. You ask great questions. Let us go back to our questions that were submitted. We have quite a few uh, that were anonymous, and so it, we'll get those as they come up. The first one is, is anonymous. My 18-year-old son lives at home and has decided not to attend church. My spouse is not yet ready to have him leave our home under this circumstance. How should I be ministering to my wife and son as I think we should put him out of our home? Okay, well, Anonymous, this one hits, to put it plainly, hits home for all, a lot of people because this is something that in counseling I deal with and Pastor Ron deals with uh, those of us that counsel here at the church, anyone that does any biblical counseling has dealt with this or continues to deal with this issue. And the reason why this question is asked often on the radio is because this is something that Christians, real Christians, simply don't want to deal with. And so please listen. Anonymous, if your son, who is 18 years old, lives in your home under your roof, and I'm assuming here that, that, that you are a born-again believer and, and your spouse is also, um, then you have to remind him that this is Jesus' home. And because it's Jesus' home, there are, it's Jesus' rules. And what he thinks about them, what anyone thinks about the rules, is between them and the Lord. And if they disobey or break the rules in Jesus's home, then there have to be consequences. And the consequences, in this case, he's 18 years old, he needs to find a different place to live. Now, this is predicated with you and your wife, not only being born again, but you have to be on the same page. This isn't something that as the husband of the home, you go and try to fix yourself. Uh, a time and time again, I talk to men who want to do the right thing, but then in the heat of the moment, in, in, in an emotionally charged, uh, loud conversation, things are said, and, and Jesus is misrepresented. That's not allowed. You cannot do that. The way you handle this is by sitting everyone down. First, you have to talk to your wife, and you and your wife have to be on the same page. And your wife needs to understand that the most loving thing you can do is to teach your son that there are rules in this house. And at 18 years old, everybody has different situations, but he needs to find out what it's like to live apart from Jesus. And if he doesn't want to follow the rules of the home by not coming to church, then you need to sit down and let him know that if he continues to do that, um, then he's going to have to find a different place to live. Let, let me add this. Uh, I cannot emphasize how important it is for you and your spouse to sit down and, and really prayerfully consider what Jesus wants. It doesn't matter what you think as the husband. It doesn't matter what your wife thinks. 
It, it only matters what Jesus says. And if you two can come together and agree to agree with Jesus, because it's his house with his rules, then the way you respond to your son is going to be the most loving thing you can do. You, with a clear conscience and a pure heart before the Lord, you can say, this is what the Lord wants us to do. And son, you'll, if you continue to disobey, you'll just have to find another place to live. And if the response is, is well, I'm assuming this is an 18-year-old son that isn't saved, is probably not going to respond uh, with an understanding of why you're doing that. But you have to believe in your heart that that's the most loving thing you can do. Because it really is. Now, I would sit down, though, with your wife first. That's the first thing. And have this conversation. And then sit down with your son, have a family meeting, and then give him a chance. Give him a fresh start. And who knows what the Lord is doing in his heart. Maybe this will be the day that he decides to come to church and have a change of heart and get saved. Anonymous, I, I hope that helps, but I'll be praying for you. I know how difficult these things could be. Let's go back to our phone lines. Line to Mateo, you're on the air. Yes, hi, how are you doing, Pastor? Um, I have a quick question for you. I'll try to make it quick, but uh, more in relation to suicide. I'm not sure what the topic was. That kind of just came in. I had a question. Uh, but this is in relation to suicide. Uh, I've kind of always dealt with suicide ever since I was a child. And, you know, I went through some things in the military. You know, I've had some, you know, ups and downs. I'm sure everybody has. But it's not about, I've never had this, uh, you know, relationship issue or it wasn't because of the job or because I made a mistake or um, it, it just always kind of felt like inherent, like I wasn't meant to be born. And no matter what I achieve mm. or how good of a family life I have, I mean, I feel like I have a good life. I have a wife and two children, and, and things are going well, you know, at work. I just completed my master's degree a couple months ago. It's, it's not about that. I just feel like inherently I'm a mistake, and I've kind of always struggled mm. with that, and I'd like to know your thoughts, and just it, it doesn't seem, Absolutely. I mean, really, truth, truthfully, it doesn't matter what I do. And I know that, I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life. It, well, not okay. my whole life. We started going when I was 12, but... Besides the point, I just, I know, you know, the, the standard scriptures, I understand, I've helped in the church before, but I just felt like no matter what it is I do, other people are worth more than me, and I just struggle with suicide quite a bit, hmm. so. Mateo, I can help, I can help. You've given me enough information to where I can give you clear, clear counsel from the Word of God. Uh, you simply cannot consider suicide if you're a Christian. You have no right to do that to yourself because you belong to Jesus. The first question I was going to ask you, Mateo, is if you are a born-again Christian, you already told me that you were. That's where we start. Since you are a born-again Christian, the letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote says that, that we were bought at a price. And, and what that means is you do not own yourself. You do not have the right to harm yourself, to make your own choices, you, 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 your life is given to Jesus Christ, and because he owns you, he's the one that gets to dictate how your life is lived. And, and, and here's why that's important, Mateo, because from what you're telling me, your issue is not understanding your value and your worth to Jesus. You are, I, I counted at least three times where you repeated uh, that, that you feel like you're a mistake or that, that your life I I is a mistake. And I'm telling you, Mateo, that it's not. You are the object, Mateo, of God's affection. You are the object of his affection. What that means is this. God the Father sent his one and only son to die and take the brutal punishment that you and I deserve. And what Jesus did on the cross thousands of years ago is the greatest demonstration of love for you and it validates your worth to God. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks of you. It doesn't matter what people criticize you for. And it honestly, Mateo, it doesn't even matter what you think of yourself. First John chapter three 
tells us, this is what the Apostle John says, that, that even when our own hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And, and what that means is this, your opinion of yourself, just like anyone else's opinion of yourself, is irrelevant because you're born again and all that matters is what Jesus thinks of you. And here's what he thinks of you, Mateo. He absolutely adores you. Absolutely adores you. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus suffered, endured the cross for you. You were that joy. And I like to personalize it, Mateo, like this. When Jesus was at his most deepest pain, felt and the, the wrath of his own father was being poured out on him, he not once thought about giving up because he loves you. Your name flashed before his mind and he says, I love Mateo so much that I'm not going to even think about quitting. And so harming yourself, Mateo, is never the answer. Your physical body is not the issue. It's your flesh. It's your flesh, not the physical flesh. Your physical body is fine, but it's this internal struggle with your sinful nature. That's why Jesus says, this has to be put to death. Not the body, but this flesh. And the way you do that is by remembering what the Word of God says. You belong to Jesus. Your value and worth is determined by the buyer, not the seller. Jesus bought you. And so uh, when he died for your sin, Matteo, he gave up everything because that's how much he loves you. And practically speaking, you know, you mentioned you, 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 have a master's degree, you have a beautiful family uh, uh, with a wife and kids, you cannot, you cannot consider harming yourself and in any way think that that's going to help your family. To consider those kinds of thoughts is, is utter selfishness. And Jesus said, that you belong to him and he will carry you. He will give you the grace that you need to get through the trials that you're going through. And, and, and you'd mentioned that you're serving at church. Uh, you tried, it sounds like you've tried a, a lot of Christian things. I don't want you to do any of that. What I want you to do is get to know who Jesus is. I want you to know him intimately and, and find out how much he loves you. I, I want you to dig into your Bible, Mateo, and, and study your value and your worth. Look at Ephesians chapter three, 1 through 3 and, and, and listen to the Spirit of God speaking to your heart. You sound like uh, a nice young man and it sounds like you've tried a lot of things to fill that, that emptiness and to to satisfy this this emptiness that you have in your heart. But what I want you to do is just be with Jesus and let him speak to your heart. Your master's degree, your income, your, your, your title at work, your other achievements in life, those are great, but those don't determine who you are. And specifically, they don't determine your value to God. So, so, Take your eyes off of yourself and, and look at Jesus. I promise you, Mateo, what he'll do is remind you how much he cares for you, how much he loves you, and you have no right to harm the one whom he loves and cares for. What you need to do is put your flesh to death, your sinful nature to death, and be filled with the Spirit and you do that every day, every moment of every day, however frequent you need to. And you do that so that you can be with the one who loves you. And, and 
it'll also r change your perspective because uh, the way you view your life right now is through the lens of our society and, and, and your, you have to quit looking at the things around our society to determine uh, your worth. I mean, if you were to ask your wife if this would be a good thing, I promise you she would say no. So how could this be good? The last thing I'll say is this. If, if this is something that you really, really struggle with, uh, you, you, you need to make sure there isn't something physiologically going on in your brain. Now, doctors don't always have answers, but in order for you to serve Jesus and to be fruitful in your ministry and to figure out what's going on, you need to also rule out if there's any chemical issues or physiological issues going on. And then if so, deal with it. Uh, Matea, I hope that helps. Thank you for your call. Uh, and uh, I'll keep you in prayer. You can hear the music. Uh, this is the first 30 minutes of the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. Filling in for Pastor On. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the monday edition of the word to stand on for life my name is pastor ken cruzado and this week i have the great privilege of filling in for my pastor on this radio show Everything continues the same. We take your Bible questions, questions about church, questions about doctrine, how to put the Word of God into practice in your life and what it means to you. Uh, that's why we're here. And I know we have uh, quite a few second half listeners of people who are just getting off work. Um, and so uh, let me encourage you to, to call in with your questions uh, because that's why we're here. 210-340-9585. That's your phone number to call in if you choose to do so. 210-340-9585. Toll-free number is 877-630-5757. And then our email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Okay, let's go ahead and continue with the, the questions that were submitted the next one comes from Emily. Emily says, should we worship on Saturday or on Sunday? Well, Emily, we are not under the Old Testament law. And the reason why I say that is because uh, the Old Testament law mandated that the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, was the day of worship. But since we who are born again Christians do not live under the law, we're not obligated in fact, Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So anyone that says you must worship on Saturdays only, they have a misunderstanding about this. In fact, Paul says uh, in Romans chapter 14 that, that Christians, as Christians, we're not constrained by the law when it, in any matter, but especially when it comes to worship. He says one man regards one day above the other, Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. So then why do we worship on Sundays? Well, it's simple, Emily. It's because it's, that's what the first century church did. They met on Sundays. Acts chapter 20 talks about the Lord's day. On the first day of the week, they were gathered to break bread together. And that's when Paul, the apostle, would teach the scriptures. And we see that, that, that reference to the Lord's Day in, in other chapters, Revelation chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians 16. And the reason why it's called the Lord's Day, obviously, is because this is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so that's why we choose to worship on Sundays. So don't let anyone convince you that you're breaking any law 
Okay, let's go back to our phone lines. Jack, on line one from San Antonio, you're on the air. My question is pretty simple. I'm wondering what the Bible says about being buried opposed to um, being cremated. Oh, great question. Great question, Jack. So the Bible doesn't give us or it doesn't mandate a specific way in which our bodies, our physical bodies, are to be treated once we die. Uh, some, some people choose cremation uh, for financial reasons, uh, and that's okay. And some people choose to have open caskets uh, or, or, or regular funerals with coffins. And, and I promise you, God is, is not offended or he's not, uh, there's no preference either way because when our bodies, uh, uh, when we're given these glorified bodies, it doesn't matter what the previous or how the previous body was treated. And so the real us is no longer an occupant of this physical tent, this temporary tent that Paul calls it. The temporary tent will go away and the mortal will, will, will inherit immortal. And what that means is that the glorified body that God gives us uh, will, will not be like the old body that would get sick. And so the simple answer, Jack, is, is that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want the biblical references, where I would look at and see that this, this tent that we have is temporary. And so how we treat it uh, when we die or after we die is, is really a personal choice. And God has no preference either way. Does that help, Jack? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. And, and you also have to consider this, too. Uh, we many times or sometimes, I'd say, we really have no control over how we die or, and the matter in which we die. Some some may pass in combat. Some may go in, in a car accident or whatever it may happen. There's so many different ways that we think we can control. And the truth is we don't. And, and God is never going to... Uh, say, well, oh, this is what they did with their body, this is what happened to their body, and, and therefore, you know, I'll have to treat them differently. Because the real us, the soul, the, 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 the person that lives inside, that's who is going to be with Jesus in his presence. So thank you for your call, Jack. I really, really appreciate it. Personally, uh, I told my wife, uh, May and I had this conversation that I, I, I want to be cremated when I pass away uh, simply because it's, it's cost effective and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's so many things that you deal with when it comes to making arrangements. It's a very emotionally charged time. And if there's a, a simple option for me personally, I would choose the simpler option. But again, that's a personal choice. All right, let us go back to the questions that were submitted. I have one. Oh, this, this, is, uh, this is an important one from M. I recently attended a therapy session with my spouse, and she divulged that she is having issues with past events uh, stemming from my mother-in-law who lives with us. It is a constant reminder of how she was neglected and abused as a child. Over the past two and a half years, I have encouraged relationship building through biblical teachings, but things seem to be getting worse, and I dislike seeing my wife constantly sad. What should I do? Um, a couple things here. Uh, I'm going to assume that your wife is a born-again Christian, uh, and I'm going to assume that, that you are, obviously, you're teaching the Bible at home. That's great. Um, so the couple things here that we need to do. First thing is this. You, you need to remind your wife that she is a born-again Christian. And that the old her is gone. Uh, she, she, she needs to be closer to Jesus than she is 
to her mother and to her past. Uh, and, and the only way that can happen is through getting to know who Jesus is through the word. I really like the fact, M, that you, you say you're, you're using, you called it biblical teachings. I'm assuming you're teaching the Bible. That's what you need to do. And, and as you teach the Bible, the Spirit of God will speak to your wife and remind her very much in the same way I reminded Matteo of her value and worth to Jesus. Now, I say this not to disregard the pain from the past. I, I'm not naive. I understand that, that there is deep-seated pain from our past, and, and so many of us carry this. But what Jesus did on the cross, it wasn't just to forgive us of our sin. That's what he did. But the Bible tells us that in Second Corinthians chapter 5, that, that the old is gone, that the new has come, that we're a brand new creation in Christ. That means all of the past sins that we committed and all of the past sins committed against us. Jesus says those no longer define who you are because that can is dead. And the, the, the brand new can that has now been brought to life the brand new creation in Christ is the one whom Jesus gives his heart to and his mind to. Now, in the manner where we live our lives in the day-to-day -day things, uh, sure, things will come up. There will be songs that come on the radio, people that are still in your lives that will bring things up. People do that. They look at you on the outside and they think, and in this case, maybe the mother is looking at your wife as someone who is still the same. And so remind your wife that she is born again, that the old her is gone. And on a side note, you don't need to go to therapy for this. Now, I, I don't know you and I, I don't know your situation, but too often I hear or I deal with in counseling people who have gone to counselors, therapy sessions that are useless. And I want people to get to know Jesus, to know who he is, to know his heart through his word, and then let them, let him deal with their hearts. Because your wife's issue isn't with the mother, even if she feels uncomfortable around her, uh, her issue really is dealing with her past. And when she realized that that's no, who longer, no longer who she is, that she's the object of God's affection, she has been forgiven. Therefore, she can forgive. It doesn't mean that everything that her mom did to her in the past was okay. But it means that she no longer has to live under the bondage of her past. And, and that's more important than I can underscore. It's, it's, you said two and a half years you've been encouraging relationships and it seems like things are getting worse. I would also say this. Uh, sometimes when the Lord is dealing with really deep, sensitive issues in our hearts, uh, what happens is the outward response is agitation or irritation. And, and oftentimes when Jesus is digging deep and dealing and cleaning up some issues in our heart, you'll see people get irritated. And maybe that's why things are getting worse. I, I don't know. But something to consider uh, is that you have to be mindful of, uh, of maybe the Lord is doing something that you don't realize. And, and let me also add this. Uh, this is Jesus' house. You didn't say anything in your question about the, what the mother-in-law is doing now. But, but if there is anyone in the house that is not willing to abide by Jesus' rules in Jesus' house, then if that person is an 18-year-old son or if it's uh, even a mother-in-law, uh, they may have to find a different place to live. You simply cannot compromise with that. 
And so, uh, M, I, I hope that helps. Let's go back to our phone lines. Thomas on line one, you're on the air. Brother Kenny, how you doing today? Good, I hope. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, kind of comment a little bit on what you're talking about with this uh, gentleman here. And, you know, I mean, this, th- <laughs> this therapy and stuff, as Christians, you know, we just have to, you know, bite on God's word and, and really just follow through. And as far as this pain and suffering, we all go through it. Heck, I'm going through it. But, you know, I mean, I, I want some guidance and some, you know, just to make sure that, you know, I have checks and balances, you know, that I'm thinking properly. But at the end of the day, man, when it comes down to the Bible, we just got to follow what, this, uh, what the Word says and put it into action. And as hard as it may be for some, that's how I minister to other people as well. I'm going to hang up and listen to your comment on that. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Thank you, Thomas. I, I couldn't agree more, Thomas. It's absolutely true. And, and this is nothing to do with, with people's occupations and, and counselors that are... Uh, counselors, they have a purpose. But for those who are born-again Christians, uh, you don't need a program. You don't need secular psychology. You don't need methodologies to help you to get to the answer. The answer is Jesus. And for someone that isn't born again... I would say go ahead, do whatever you can to help you. And if they have no interest in surrendering their life to the Lord, well, they got to do whatever they can to get help. For those, it may be a 12-step program or something, but those programs are ineffective. And they, well, not ineffective. They don't get to the root cause, which is the heart. When there's pain, when there's sorrow, when there's hurt, when there are when there are really deep, deep things that need to be dealt with, addressing the behavior of the outside doesn't fix anything. My flesh will stop something and then pick up another bad habit. But like you said, Thomas, it's the Word of God. It's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And I am firmly convinced that when a person with a heart that's open to Jesus and willing to surrender their entire life to whatever to whatever the, the authority of God's word dictates them to do, that's a heart that God can heal, that God can use. And so, Thomas, thank you for your call. Um, I, like I said, I couldn't agree more. I, I think too many... Uh, Real believers, real Christians, they, 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 they are convinced that they need, they have special cases in their marriage or special cases in their own life that needs uh, a specialty uh, or they need a special kind of counselor that deals with these things. Um, that's not true. That's not true. You know, the, because if, if, if I were to say somebody that came into church I was looking for, you know, I get this all the time. Somebody comes to the church and saying, do you have a 12-step program or a recovery program here at church? I tell them no. And, and sometimes they don't understand why, but I explain to them. It's because it's a one step that we teach. We just teach them Jesus and that Jesus will deal with all of the issues that they have, even the issues they don't know about, because he always cuts right to the heart. So, Thomas, thank you for your call. I, I, like I said, I, I could not agree even more. God bless you. Oh, okay. The next one, I, I have to give a public announcement, public service announcement, if you will, because it does contain some mature material. So I'll give you a moment to deal with this. If you're listening on the radio, if you've got children in the car, um, it's a question that was submitted anonymously. Uh, and it, it's not too detailed, but it deals with things that you may want to filter out. Okay, so the question is from Anonymous, and it says this. I am lusting for my wife in the bedroom, but unfortunately my spouse has been menopausing for the past five years, and we rarely have sex. 
She's never in the mood, and when I try to get her in the mood, she is turned off even more. It's become a stressful situation, and one morning last week, I took it to another level without her. I felt really horrible and repented and apologized to her. How do I correct this so things don't get out of control, such as masturbating or watching pornography? Well, Anonymous, I, I applaud your transparency, and so let's deal with the issue. Uh, again, I'm going to assume that you're a born-again Christian and that your wife is. I, I don't know what the details of your situation is, but this is a Christian radio show, and I'm going to assume that's the case. Okay, so sex is a gift from God. That's the one thing we have to remember. It's a gift. God designed sex to be pleasurable for us, and, and, and what the world has done apart from Jesus, is they've tainted and corrupted what God intended sex to be between a husband and a wife. And, and it sounds like you want to honor God in your marriage and in the bedroom. That's a good thing. But you mentioned here that your wife has been menopausing for the past five years and you rarely have sex. So, when I say sex is a gift from God, remember this. In marriage is also a gift from God. And th the biblical design for marriage is to honor Jesus. It's the closest relationship we have on earth to reflect the love relationship we have with Jesus Christ. And because God handpicked your wife uh, and, and, and he handpicked you to be your wife's husband... Uh, he knew that there would be issues. Menopause is something real that you have to deal with. So here's what I would tell you, and starting with you, husband. When you say, how do I correct this? You have to start with your heart. She has no control over what her body is going through. And what you have to remember is, is the relationship you have is, is about loving and being uh, the one who gives love instead of saying, uh, I want to be loved. In other words, when it comes to sex and when it comes to the physical intimacy, sex, the way God designed sex in a marriage is to, to outdo one another in love. You know, we look to Ephesians chapter 5, the, the biblical model for marriage. We always start at chapter 5, verse 22, when we talk about the role of the wife and then the role of the husband. But what we often forget is the previous verse, verse 21, when Paul the Apostle says, in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this isn't about what the husband has to do, what the wife has to do, uh, so that they can get the most pleasure out of out of sex for themselves. This is about the outpouring of love because sex in a marriage is really a spiritual thing. The outpouring of love to one another, almost trying to outdo one another in love by submitting to God and submitting to each other out of reference for Christ. So this sets the, 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 the tone and the mindset of how you approach sex in a marriage. Now, you had said that you've taken it to another level and you apologized, you repented, and you said, how do I correct this? Anytime you think about yourself and pleasuring yourself, it is the most selfish thing you can do. And sex was not designed to be selfish by God. It's a way to, to, to honor God in your marriage by celebrating that intimacy. It's a spiritual thing. And so what you have to do is get your heart right with the Lord and, and stop looking for ways for you to be satisfied. Instead, be the one that satisfies your wife. And if you said for the past five years you rarely have sex, then you find other ways 
to, to honor God in your marriage. Uh, oftentimes, when, when women are going through menopause, there are so many changes that the husband doesn't understand. And, and when the husband says, well, well, it's not fair because you're going through this and I have my needs and, and, and you're thinking about yourself, that's the most selfish thing that a husband can do. Not only is it selfish, but it dishonors the Lord. Sex is not about yourself. Now, what do you do? Your question is, how do I correct this? Like everything that you do, Anonymous, because you're a born-again Christian and the Spirit of God lives in you, when you're together with your wife, you make her feel loved. And it's passionate and tender. And if her body's going through changes where sex can't happen as often as it used to, then you don't make her feel bad about it. But you find other ways to please her. You find other ways to spend time together. And that's how Jesus is honored in your marriage. So, so get rid of that mindset that says, I have to find a way to, to please myself. Because uh, that, that's never Jesus' thoughts. That's never his attitude. And you want to honor Jesus in everything that you do. And so I, I hope that helps you, Anonymous. Um, you can hear the music. That means we're at the end of the Monday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. I'll be filling in for Pastor Ron this entire week. Uh, tune in tomorrow for the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.